electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! What are you looking at, butthead? Nobody calls me chicken needles. Nobody! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Welcome back to the future. Ha ha! Good one. Good one. Okay, you don't have to patronize me. My name's Jeff. And I'm Eric. And uh, we normally watch Spielberg movies, but now, uh, just uh, as a bonus to ourselves, we're watching Spielberg adjacent films and then refusing to mention him completely in the episodes <laughs> that uh, are adjacent. Uh, so we've been doing Back to the Future because one of us has not me. seen. Yeah. Yes, you, you maniac, hasn't seen Back to the Future 3. So we're making our way through it uh, so we can finally have Eric complete the entire series. Right, right. So this week we watched Back to the Future 2. And watching Back to the Future 2, it suddenly struck me why, and I had a lot of reasons in last week's podcast, you know, like mm-hmm. d- uh, defenses for why I hadn't seen Back to the Future 3, but watching Back to the Future 2, like it really dawned on me why I hadn't seen Back to the Future 3, and that's because Back to the Future 2 is horseshit, and uh, I... I I disliked it so much upon seeing it way back when that I decided never to pursue the series any further. Wow. Okay. Well, it's been a good run, and um, (laughs) this is the end of the show. (laughs) We're done. Listen, I I don't know what to tell you. I just, okay. Okay, keep going. I I'm at a loss for words. I need a moment to collect myself. Well, I feel I feel like we can get there. Let's go ahead and start the way we normally start, and uh, give give our history with the film. It's Back to the Future too. It's uh, you hate it, right? Okay, fine. I would say it's before watching it this time. It was my favorite of the trilogy. Watching it again right after watching the first, I'm like, okay, I can definitely see some problems here that the first one did better like there's a lot of uh hints towards what's coming and in the first movie it's a lot more subtle and in this movie it's more like hey look hey look look at this thing this is going to come back hey look at this thing and um so that i could definitely say was a lot more heavy-handed um but i'm a fan of the uh character of biff and um, his performance, and I think that uh, Tom Wilson knocks it out of the park in this one. He's great, and he gets to do so much. He plays so many different versions of himself that that's why I like it because it's Biff's movie. I, I I can I can I can get behind that. I can get behind Tom Wilson's performances. Um, I can't really get behind much of the rest of the movie, at least the first half of the movie. Um, okay, so I I believe, uh, I kind of spoke to this last time, I didn't see this in the theaters. I uh, saw it on VHS for the first time. And, um, and honestly, uh, 
my memory was a little cloudy because I had never gone back to this movie. Maybe I may have seen it once or twice over the years, but it's nothing that I like sought out specifically. Um, I remember back in the uh, mid nineties, I was on a, a VHS buying spree. Like I spent way too much money buying VHS. Yeah. Tapes. And where are they now? Yeah. Uh, in the basement until it flooded and then a dumpster. Um, okay. But I never, I never did buy Back to the Future two or three on VHS. Uh, I, I remember uh, just kind of. I've always had this kind of vague dislike for Back to the Future two, but I, I, it was too fuzzy in my memory really to put my finger on it. But having we just watched it last night, I was like, oh yeah, I get it. I remember, I remember why I didn't like this movie. Um, so yeah, it's it's not one that I've revisited a lot. Uh, which is interesting because I love I love the first one beyond reason and man mm-hmm. I I really feel like this movie drops the ball in so many ways, um, so yeah I mean I <laughs> okay I am a solid thumbs down on Back to the Future too. That's totally fine. Once again, as we start creeping our way closer to Hook, are you starting to see that maybe? I still will like it because I still like this film. Yeah, no, and that's, that's and I don't hate always like you did. That's fine, and yeah, it's interesting because uh, I've always like between the two of us, I've always considered myself to be uh, more uh, positive. <laughs> okay, <laughs> although you are quite positive on things as well, but I, I always thought that like you would be the one to have. What the movies dislikes. have I dunked and, on that you were just like? Yeah, none, none. I don't know why I have that impression, but okay. Uh, uh, I think it's just because of your history with the other podcasts. As oh yeah, being the okay. guy who doesn't put up with bullcrap, you know. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> So I never thought I would find myself in this position where I'm the one like disliking something and you're the one liking it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't even put my finger on what I feel is the biggest misstep in this film okay. uh, because there are so many. I think first and foremost, uh, the choice to not pay Crispin Glover and get him back kneecaps this movie. I think that it was a huge error to write Crispin Glover out of this movie. Um, and then they ended up paying him anyhow. I don't know like if you read about the history. but No, I just knew that he... And, and I agree completely. Crispin Glover... I mean, you got to get those original four back, right? Michael J. Fox, Doc... Leah Thompson and Crispin Glover back. Well, five, because then you got to get Biff. So without one of them, it really kind of hurts the film. And I think Crispin Glover is in the, the top three of that, right? I mean, I think it's like Michael J. Fox, Biff, and maybe Crispin Glover are like the three most important ones. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. So uh, it, it seems as though when it came time to make this movie, they... They offered him a lowball offer, um, and we're going to pay him less than Leah Thompson. And he dug in his heels and said, "No, you know, I want, I want a fair offer." And then he also asked for script approval, which, of course, you know, that's that's a big ask. Um, and they said no, and he dug in his heels and was just like, "Forget it, then. I'm not doing it." Um, 
and and eventually what ended up happening was they they rewrote the movie to write him out as much as possible yeah. uh and have him be dead in the in the alternate 1985 and uh and then he sued them for using his likeness anyhow and won and it set a precedent in Hollywood. It's it's like a well-used precedent now that uh, you cannot use somebody's likeness without their permission um, in a film because they, they did go back and reuse footage from Back to the Future 1 and uh, put makeup on somebody else to make him look Crispin Glover-like yeah. for the brief, the brief periods that George is in the film. Um, but I... I really felt like the dynamic between Marty and George was one of the biggest strengths in the original film. And uh, just having him removed entirely from the film uh, takes a lot of the heart out of the movie, you know? Um, but just because it was such a focus of the first movie, you know? Just yeah, the- it was George's movie. Like I said... When we recorded before, it's like the first one is George's movie, this one's Biff's, and the next one is Doc's. Yeah. Um, and I'm okay with the focus on Biff, um, but I also feel like with this movie in general, the first movie had what I would call heightened characters. You know, Biff is a heightened character. George McFly is a heightened character, you know, but they are still characters. Um, yeah. A little a little cartoony in their behaviors, but still characters. This movie has cartoon characters for characters. Oh, you don't like Griff? Griff is the worst goddamn thing. Like, Griff just sets my jaw on edge. Since just... when did you become the physical type? Just grinding my teeth watching Griff and all of Griff's uh, henchmen who are like the worst stereotypical 1980s movie henchmen who just like scream stuff in the background. While they're Um, in cafe 80s. They're just the worst. That entire sequence is the worst, most cartoony nonsense. And it sets the tone for the whole film, you know, And, and like... As soon as Griff shows up in the movie, I was like, oh, okay, so this movie isn't taking itself seriously at all. You know, the first film at least takes itself seriously. Yes, it's comedic, and yes, it's light. It's way more grounded than this one. But it's way more grounded. Yeah. And it also takes the time for realistic character interactions. And this film doesn't have any realistic character interactions, even between Marty and Doc. Marty's conversations with Doc the entire time were like, Doc, I blew it! Marty! You know, like, the whole film. Doc, I blew it! Biff got the thing! Marty! That's all they say to each other. Um, and and it, it never slows down long enough for anybody to have any moments of meaning between them at all. Like, I'm thinking of the conversation in the first one between Marty and George at the gas station where Marty's kind of like coaching him. And uh, the the quieter moments between Marty and Lorraine, you know, where things are being revealed to Marty that perhaps he hadn't realized about his parents and things of that nature. There, there are no moments of enlightenment or revelation or interest in this movie it just wants to go 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 and be a cartoon i'll say that for the first half of the movie i think it improves dramatically when it goes back to 1955 
Um, and if anything, if anything saves the movie, it's that that segment that takes place back in 1955. That's that's where this movie invests all of its cleverness and, and so on. But I I still don't feel like it's strong enough to live up to the first film. I'll be interested to see how you feel when the next movie fairly takes place anywhere I, but the I'm West. not writing it off <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm not I'm not writing it off I, I'm I'm going into it with the hopes of enjoying it you know um yeah. be, like I'm interested in the wild west setting and all of that like um but so I'm easy so I could I could end up saying you know like this is better than that I don't know um uh, but I'm certainly not going into it with a bad attitude yeah, I agree with uh, pretty much what you said as far as like it's not as subtle as the first one. They don't set up things in 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 the same way like in the first one. There's so much you miss, and then you go back after having seen it, and you're like, oh, they're leading into that. Oh, you know the what Lorraine? What? Why were you in the tree? And then you find out. And you go back and you see that conversation, and now you know. This does a lot more like even it go pushing into the next movie, right? They're like, I can't, I've always wanted to go to the old West. And then right when he goes to Biff's big, you know, Trump towers, sort of place, they're playing a video of Griff, uh, not Griff, which, wild, um, wild Biff, whatever the old, old I Biff. can't remember the character's name, but old West Biff. And then you're like, okay, that's coming in the next movie. Like they just kind of really, Say we're going to the old west, um, which I get, and I think that your criticisms are fair. They don't break the movie for me. I love the stylized future. I I love um, just the things they get wrong and the things they get right. I uh, you know they were one year off on saying what year the Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> they said 2015 Cubs won. They won in 2016. That's pretty good. The Cafe 80s is 80s. Like, if they were to make a a, a Cafe 20s for us, or better, let's say 10s, what, what would that look like? How would we even put that together in our brains living in it? You know, we wouldn't. But they figured out what the 80s are and how to really, because if there were a, a Cafe 80s, it would pretty much be that, except for the 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 servers being all TVs with you know '80s characters like Michael Jackson, all oh, Max Headroom out, yeah, Max Headroom, um, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I I don't have a problem with the way the future is represented. I have a problem with the people that live in the future. So, mm-hmm. like, I I actually find a lot of that like future tech stuff that they're showing in, in the movie to be interesting and entertaining. Like, like, Oh, they, they had some cool ideas. And I like the fact that it's not all like post-apocalyptic raining all the time, foggy, you know, it's a bright, sunny representation of the future. I like the flying cars. I like the hoverboards. I like a lot of the stuff oh, that they have the going on, man. going on Come in the on. background, you know, like I think that there's the, like, it's a very busy background. I enjoyed, I don't know if you noticed when they first arrive, when they're in the alley uh, where they abandoned Jennifer for the first time, which we'll get to um, the trash behind them. It's all laser discs, it's laser and, discs. CDs. <laughs> yeah, it's laser discs <laughs> yeah. and CDs all kind of like, I, that's together. another prediction on their part because laser discs weren't out yet. 
when this movie weren't out of fashion yet when this movie came out. And yet here they've got it. You know, it's like all these laser discs are garbage. No one's actually using them anymore. Yeah, I thought it was funny. I just thought that they picked stuff that looked futury in hopes that we wouldn't notice that <laughs> it was all laser discs. One of them actually has an MCA logo on it, which I yeah. thought which I thought was kind of funny. Um so yeah, I'm I'm okay with with that bright and cheery representation of the future. What I didn't like about those future scenes is how none of the characters felt like characters. And that extends mm-hmm. to uh future Marty and uh Marty's kids. He had two ties. What do you <sighs> want? He had two ties on. That's the style of the 2015s. Or like uh, I I I don't feel like we spent enough time with future Marty to understand what the hell is going on with future Marty. I don't think the, uh, the thing with Griff trying to convince his kid to do a, a robbery or whatever crime, the hell, yeah. a crime of some sort. I don't think that there's enough there, there to actually make that make sense. Like the scene is set up so quickly and it's just like, okay, we're going to echo the first movie, you know, from the 50s diner, and we're going to have this, this scene with Griff and Marty the way that we had with Biff and George. Um, but I don't think that there's enough time given to, like, what the hell is going on in these scenes to really make them have any impact whatsoever. Um, in, in future Marty, like... He's being tempted into doing a crime with Flea, who's maybe yeah. setting them up, Flea and then he it. gets fired by his boss by facts. Because nobody and, calls him chicken. And where the hell did that come that from? That came out of like, nowhere. That came out it of is... nowhere. And it's like a huge recurring theme in the movie that nobody calls Marty chicken. And It's an arc for the final two movies. It it only shows up in in these two movies. Yeah, I guess they were like sitting around one day and they're like, what can we do to make Marty act dumb? Oh, I know. He doesn't like being called chicken (laughs) because he makes wildly stupid decisions when somebody calls him chicken. And and, uh, well, and even when they do, uh, with the exception of the flea one, he actually goes through with it. But like when he's like, don't call me chicken, he ends up running away most of the time. Right. <laughs> like anyway, he gets so, mad and then leaves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought like that whole little bit of storyline, like it doesn't make any sense and ends up being entirely inconsequential because they immediately delete that timeline anyhow, you know? And so, uh, the I guess it was fun to dress up Michael J. Fox as a, a young woman, uh, which I have to say is the best makeup job in the movie, um, because there are some yeah. there are some rank makeup in this movie. Yeah, but, a lot of the 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 aging makeup is not great. Yeah, much much better done again in the original. Um, maybe because it was used. To I don't a, know. A I like extent. I like uh, old Biff though. Old Biff, hello. <laughs> Old Come Biff, on. Old Biff at least has gained the, old Biff the wisdom awesome. of age. Yeah, like, and then you get the old Biff interacting with young Biff. It's awesome. No, that's pretty good. I like the way he dresses down young Biff, you know, <laughs> with the make, make like a tree like and a get tree And leave. <laughs> you sound like an idiot when you say it. Yeah. I liked that bit. So the, there, are, there are bits in the film that I enjoy. But, um, again, overall, it just felt like... 
disconnected episodes that barely can be fit together. Uh, the, the nineteen, the alternate nineteen eighties. I really didn't like. Yeah, so you know, this is a a three act play, and so the second act takes place in alternate nineteen eighties. Yeah, and I had a, I had a very hard time with that entire thing. Um, I, Lorraine's boob job. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. But it's some it more, is a bit ridiculous. Some more poor poor uh, makeup situations. Um, I really didn't understand why when Marty confronted Biff about the almanac, Mm -hmm. Biff starts monologuing and takes it out of the safe to show Marty. And like, there's this whole scene and then he's like, and now I'm going to kill you. Like it didn't make any sense. It would have made much more sense if Biff just pulled out the gun and shot Marty. No, but Biff's a narcissist. Yeah. Is he though? Biff likes to talk. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. Biff is a narcissist. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Listen, the the evil monologue at least fits the tone that the movie has already set, um, which is that it is a cartoon or comic booky. You know, he's he is an evil monologue guy. Um, but yeah, I like that scene. I I like all the stuff with Biff. I'm just a sucker for the character and 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 um his portrayal. So Tom Wilson's portrayal. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, def- I like when he's in the hot tub and he's got the two women there and he's watching another movie. <laughs> this movie, I don't know if I'm going to spoil it, but basically the um, they're watching this Clint Eastwood movie and then Marty shows up and he says, Gray's, is it Gray's or Brown's? It's Gray's Sports Almanac. And he's like, you heard him, ladies. Party's over. I, I just, I I like all of that. It's good. Okay, Biff is awesome. I I like. The... He goes from being a, a a terrible person and a rapist to a full on murderer. So <laughs> this movie, I like the uh, the additional nineteen fifties Biff that we get. I like seeing Biff oh, at his house. Boy. I like yeah. seeing Biff like be mean to the kids on the street and steal their ball. Like, yeah, that actually makes oh, you me laugh out loud. Back? Go, Go get, get it. <laughs> and all the interactions with his mom. I'm going to the gym and the sea dance. Yeah. All, like you said, so, well, let's stick in the in the alternate 1985 for just a little bit longer. Okay. So you get to see uh, Billy Zane again <laughs> and the crew. They're back. Um, and so, like, they establish that George is dead for, un- we're not really sure why, but they do tell you that Gr- uh, Biff murdered him. Uh, uh, Emmett Brown has been committed. The house is a mess. He explains how the whole alternate timelines work. And I like that scene because they're like, okay, let's just go back to the future and, and get the thing. And he's like, we can't because we'll go to the alternate future. We have to go back. And I just like that explanation because it actually made sense. It and does. It, 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 and it that part actually kind of addresses some of my concerns from the previous movie, or not concerns, but like questions about alternate timelines. So it like it kind of like reveals what the rules are a little more deeply. So they are not necessarily uh, creating branches. Everything reforms around a centralized timeline. So when right. they alter it, 
they're altering one centralized timeline and then when they change it it changes back but it, it essentially isn't creating all these infinite branches and and things uh there is one one central timeline that everything kind of regels around as they make changes so you find out that old man so we forgot to mention the the first part marty buys the the gray sports almanac to make bets you know to win money because you got a guaranteed win and doc stops him but in the process old man biff finds out about it takes the book back gives it to old man uh biff and then leaves so that's what starts the the or young biff and starts the timeline so they have to go back to 1955 to get that book and it's just a it's like the day of or the day before the uh the lightning storm that is the finale of the first film. And like you said, I agree completely that once they go back to the 50s, the movie really goes kind of back to its roots a bit. Virtually, that's just totally true. They go back to 1955 and it becomes um, back to the future again. Yeah, and I, I really I really like the bits with them like Marty kind of weaving in and out of his own previous experiences. Um having just watched the original, I was a little sensitive to like, oh, that's not the right line reading. Oh, that sounds a little weird. Oh, the music is a little different here. You know, like I was really picking up on like things that they didn't quite nail. Um Johnny B. Good plays differently in this version than it does in the original, you know. Um but uh but I, I really did like those pieces with him kind of like sneaking around himself and and uh, seeing these events take place from a different angle. But again, they were very crippled by the lack of George. You know, they were able to film alternate scenes with Lorraine, but George, you're getting the same footage, you know, but seen through binoculars. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, peering through the blinds and seeing the same footage. Um, and and. Gosh, I, I really just think they just shot themselves in the foot by not paying up. You yeah, know? totally. I, I think for sure it would have having Crispin Glover would have made it so much better. And I, I, I'm curious as to what the story would have been. Um, but real quick, in 19 in the, the 2015 and they're playing the, the uh, Wild Gunman. Did you recognize any of those kids? Oh, Elijah Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Elijah Wood's in there. So <laughs> anyway, I just. uh didn't want to miss that um so yeah like you get to see the 1955 more from biff's perspective because uh marty is following him around trying to get the book and you get to see oh, marty's in the back seat hiding and they go well because all right so at the end of the first movie biff's car is destroyed by a manure pile because he crashes in the manure so he's getting it fixed and it was 500 bucks to repair it and marty hides in the back but then old man biff gets in the car and then the move just uh old man biff with young biff is so good uh only biff knows how to start his car and old man biff knows how to he's how'd you know how to do that old man that this whole sequence with these two biffs is it's on its own level for me. I love it so much. No, I I agree. I agree that it's good and and that Tom Wilson is really good in the scene both both ways. Um 
it plays out very well. The the character interaction is good and seeing the difference between, you know, a young, hot headed version and an older, wiser version of the same person is pretty cool. Um I guess they used a uh, a new camera technique to do these too. It was the first time it was ever used. And it allowed the camera to move while while they had instead of just a straight on, you know, yeah, with a split the, screen. There were definitely points where it's looked good, and then there were points where like, oh, it looked bad. But I think the the biff biff stuff tended to look some of the best as far as the the two people two actors on the screen at the same time effect goes. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think the the point where it was most noticeable to me is when Doc is talking to Doc towards the end, and they've yeah. got that light pole in the middle, and the arm shows up on the other side of the light pole. I thought, I mean, it was, but there were points where it was so seamless, I was kind of like, oh, how did they do that? Like, at one point, one of them, like, throws the magazine to the other one who catches it, and I was like, man, they really must have done that a lot of times to get that to line up correctly, you know? Yeah. Um, I really like the Doc doc scene because it it really illustrates this is the first time doc has gone back to 1955 um and he's seeing all of the memories of him setting that up to him that's distant you know past you know and i i like his acting in that moment i think he does a good job i think the score really helps it it, it is um, a cool I moment like scene. yeah because for marty it was yesterday but for yeah. doc it was this is no big deal but ago. for doc he's never yeah. been back He's never been back. Yeah, so for him, it's kind of a nostalgic moment to be like, oh, yeah, it's the thing I set up. Um, I do think, however, though, that younger 1950s Doc uh, is an idiot in that scene. You know, like not recognizing his own voice, not figuring the whole thing out. Like he knows there's a time machine at play here. There are a few moments like that where you just have to like completely disregard that somebody like when Marty is talking on the walkie talkie in Biff's back seat, he's in the back seat for okay, God's yes. sake. Like if somebody <laughs> doc, is talking, he's not even whispering. It's like, <laughs> right. Hey doc. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. So, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, so the whole point of them going back is to get the book, right? So, uh, they go to the dance. You get to see some classic scenes. I think he took that guy's wallet. Good. You got to Come on. That's a classic line. No, I think he took yeah. that guy's wallet because <laughs> well, and then you get a lot more Strickland. Um, I really like the whole stuff at the school, getting the book back. And then you get the final scene in 1955 with them in the tunnel. Love it love the whole tunnel sequence with the hoverboard and him holding on to the car and trying to get it really i think some really great action to kind of cap off the film it is great and and cool special effects in that sequence as well um so yeah i'm i'm down with the whole school sequence i actually like all of the 1955 stuff i mean that's that's what get, makes me give this movie like a six instead of a two you know like it Woo. saves Woo-hoo-hoo. it saves <laughs> Real quick, we need a we need a, a a bar for the low end. What would you give 1941 <laughs> on a scale of one to ten? A one, yeah, like a one or so. A this two. is better, but barely. I would say the first half of this movie is on par with 19. Uh, I like, cannot get behind that, but okay, it's your own decision. Well, it's the first half. The second <laughs> half, the second half bumps it up. You know. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, <laughs> and then like the ending, I mean, to people in the theaters in 1989, when this came out, that ending must've been so unsatisfying, you know, like it's just, I don't even know. Like, is it a cliffhanger? Like, what do you even call that? Like, yeah, you've, a cliffhanger. You've, you've just seen half the movie, you know, it, uh, and then it comes out right afterwards like you don't have to wait i saw back to the future 2 in the theater and then after the movie ends you get a trailer for back to the future 3 in the theater not just on what you know the video versions so i it didn't bother me at all because i'm like oh okay you get to see that it's coming and it's like a year away maybe and in the realm of when movies come out even today that's pretty quick but back then it was lightning quick because they filmed both of them at the same time so it didn't memory serving me didn't bother me that much in the theater um because i knew the next one was right around the corner and yeah and i i don't mind the cliffhanger i mean it's like empire strikes back ends unsatisfyingly in the sense that it's unresolved or two towers or any other second part of a trilogy, you know, where the, the story arc takes place over three films. That's how it ends, you know, but yeah, I, it doesn't bother me to have it just, you know, Oh, and then he goes back and he finds younger doc and I just sent you back. He's yeah, but I'm back again. And then he faints and it's to be concluded in the third part. And then like the, the next movie is going to open in the fifties. So you'll be happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I will be happy about that. I, I, I will say that it did make me interested to see how they're going to get Marty back to where he belongs or, or back to the 18, what is it? 1885. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, like the DeLorean's gone. Right. So, right. um, yeah. And I think, I hope you enjoy it. Like I, uh, I'm disappointed. You don't like this movie, but it's okay. All right, let's talk about Elizabeth Shue then, because like when we yes last uh, episode on Back to the Future, I said, you know, I said is we kind of discussed who was better, Elizabeth Shue or the the original actress. So having now seen the film with Elizabeth Shue as Jennifer, how do you feel? Oh, uh, you wanted to talk about her being abandoned, so we'll just kind of lump that into good. Well, go. yeah. So. Um... First of all, I was wrong. They didn't recast Jennifer because they were unhappy with the performance of the original actor. The original actress uh, dropped out for personal reasons. Uh, so they had to recast her with Elizabeth Shue. Um, she's no better. I, 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 I found the presence of Jennifer in this movie to be superfluous, bordering on offensive. Like... The way, I don't know, other than the fact that they put Jennifer in the car at the end of the first movie, there's no reason for Jennifer to be in this movie at all. And the fact that they do have her in the movie only gives them the opportunity to treat her horrendously. Like, she is a piece of unwanted baggage in this movie that they keep dumping places. Her only sequence in the movie of consequence is when she's sneaking around uh, the uh, 2015 house 
And that is only is in the movie to give them the opportunity to show the other characters aged up and then have her see herself aged up and then pass out. Um, but the way Doc and Marty treat Jennifer in this movie is horrible, horrible, unthinkably bad. And, and the fact that Doc is just like, no, nah, just leave her there over and over again. They abandon her in an alley yes. underneath trash. They heap trash on her in the alley and just leave <laughs> her there. Right. And after knocking her out, and then they leave her on the front porch of her home in alternate 1985, which is quickly revealed to be a crime ridden hellscape. And they just leave her there. Like, Doc says something like, ah, we're going to fix the timeline anyhow. She'll be fine. It'll transform around her, which, okay, from a logical, and this, I can get behind where you go with this. So from a logical perspective, he's wrong because it that Jennifer is dead when they fix the timeline to me. Like, that whole sequence disappears. Right. Right? Even though I... Not to spoil it, but Doc is right. Uh, but from the logic beforehand, um, I don't think that that timeline exists anymore when they go and fix it. Or she lives on, <laughs> or that does exist in its own dimension, and she lives on in this world where this horrible 1985 out doc or Marty to explain what the hell happened. Right, she just wakes up yeah. on the porch in Biff World, where and you know everybody looks like house, Mad probably. Max, Mad Max characters, <laughs> and there are bars on the windows, and then no one is there because Doc and Marty have just left <laughs> her just there. Left. And it yeah. really, it really made me think about the ethics of the situation. So let's say you take a loved one to a bad future, and abandon them or witness something horrible, horrible happen to them. Like, let's say that Jennifer was attacked. Or let's say that yeah. some horrible thing befell her and somebody cut off her fingers with pliers. Like, let's just say some horrible stuff happened to Jennifer, right? And you know that it happened. You go back and change the timeline. So from your perspective, it never happened. Does that negate that person's experience in the moment? because it never happened i don't think so that's like with clone movies or uh oh i'm cloned myself so i can live forever well no you're still dead there's just another version of you you know like so that other version still very much experience and is has those valid experiences yeah right like if you download your consciousness into an ai you're still dead you're still dead that's just a. they just think that the that new consciousness thinks that it's you and that it's alive and living forever and that it worked, but you still died. Like just be, you know, you're just like making a copy of a copy. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that she does get done completely dirty in this movie. And I, I think the specifically the porch one, like he, she's like, where are we going? What's going on? And he's like, well, bring her concerns her too. Why did he say that? Like, why not just... Well, why do I mean, you say I guess that he, you and your wife turn out fine? Because they're not fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, he mess. even pauses for a minute to think about it. I think he was like, boy, they are a mess. But he goes, I can't... No, no, you guys are good. You know, like, you can see him pause. But 
I think one of the reasons that I think maybe they got shoehorned into having her there because the first movie ends with Jennifer getting in the car and them going. And then they had to rewrite the script because of the lack of Crispin Glover and maybe her plans for the second film kind of got nixed in the rewrite. And so they had to kind of shoehorn something in. Maybe. Yeah. But in the end, it just makes Doc and Marty look even more like unethical nightmare people. Doc is unethical. Doc is undeniably unethical. Yeah. Like, because even the whole thing, you can't know too much about your own future. And this whole second film is predicated on them going to fix the future, Marty's own future, you know, so... Yeah, he's he's not ethical. Well, like, yeah, I mean, Marty Marty has to take some responsibility for this, too. Like, if I put my wife in a time machine and we went sure. to the future and my buddy was just like, let's just leave her here on the porch, I'd be like, dog, no. We're not they have just a leaving time her. machine. What's the rush? Like, what is the rush for Doc to get to 2015 to fix things? Right. It's not Bill and Ted rules where you still have this weird thing that doesn't make sense is like the time is still ticking in San Dimas but you have to like at least in in Bill and Ted there's a they at least establish there is a time limit but in this movie you have all the time you could possibly need why not drive her to the house dump her out she doesn't need to know that Doc's weird thing is a time machine it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah but I'm with you I'm with you. Yeah, slow down. Make a plan. Like, after... That's not Doc, though. He never does... Well, he does make plans, but that's only when he's forced to have time, right? Right, but yeah, I mean, (laughs) like, essentially, they travel to the 1950s at this certain set date, and then they just act as though they can't go back a day or two. Like, you have this nuclear reactor on the car. You can make as many jumps as you need to make. Yeah, because they have Mr. Fusion now. Right. Pop back and intercept old Biff before he even gets the, the book to Biff. You know, like there well, are. Well, they can't do that. They explain why. Why? Because they need I old Biff to, to leave that. the timeline. That's right. They need old Biff to go back. But then when old Biff goes back to bring them back the DeLorean, then old Biff uh, would then vanish. But, okay, wait, 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 wait. There is a problem. When There is a problem. When yes. old Biff comes back to 2015 with the DeLorean, he shouldn't come back to that same 2015. He should be arriving at an altered 2015, which would be the future from Biff World, right? Like, it is a big logical failing in the time travel mechanics of this mess of a movie. Doesn't bother me, but yes. (laughs) I thought that myself. He does need to... Now you could maybe argue that there, at when the time he left, that young Biff hadn't. I don't know, but yeah, I mean it's true. Um, he should go back, but I also think that he's dying in that scene when he gets back, and he's kind of like keeling over because that Biff is dying, and that timeline is maybe reshaping. Maybe there's a delay. I don't know, but um, yeah, so that's fair. That's a fair criticism, but in, I guess the thing is, is I've never really had a huge problem suspending disbelief, uh, especially if everything else is working. I'm like, ah, oh, that's just fine, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm having fun. Like in general, you know, 
the movie is nonsense in general. Like, like all of the Back to the Future movies are nonsense because time travel doesn't exist, and we're talking about these arbitrarily created and there's still rules. problems time travel wise with the first one. Yeah. There should be two Martys. Um, which didn't you bring that up? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but there aren't two Martys. There should be the Marty that always grew up with the confident George and Lorraine and then our Marty, but there isn't, you which, know, which yeah. would probably lead to a Marty face off. Now that would Martys be a good would be second like, film. I'm right? the only like Marty. Doc, like, Doc didn't think about it. We got to murder this other Marty Marty. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather see that movie. I would rather see Doc and Marty what if they running around trying to murder. Alley. <laughs> <laughs> Heap some trash on him. You guys, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, so the movie ends, they, they burn, uh, gray sports almanac, all the timeline is set correct. And then the DeLorean gets struck by lightning and disappears. Yeah. Without going 88 miles an hour, breaking its own rules yet again. Um, well, they don't need roads. So I'm willing, I'm willing to buy that. And, and I am, I appreciate the the sequence with Marty getting the letter from Doc. I did want him to get under the umbrella to read the letter instead of standing there and letting it get soaked in rain. You know, like yeah. this letter is. Did you recognize the guy who uh, delivered the letter? He's the dad from Freaks and Geeks. Yes, but he's also you jackass. Oh, he is. <laughs> yeah. From uh, Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Happy Gilmore. Yeah. That's good how one. I always see him. Oh, but yeah, funny. Freaks and Geeks, he's great in that show. Yeah, he um, is. He's really funny. He'll in that always show. be jackass to me. Jackass. Uh, but yeah, I love the letter. I love the. It's worn. I like the, the fact that the guy's like, we had a bit of a bet going on whether you'd be here or not. And they're just kind of like, the post office is really curious as to why this letter's been here for so many years. I. And that's another part where I can suspend disbelief. That letter would have never made it. You know what I mean? And and that letter um, is key to Marty's success in the next film. And that's a lot for old, like, old West Doc to be banking on the very young post service that he is using. But it it works out, you know. Yeah, I would think that that would have to be set up at least through like a an attorney's office that you know would still exist in the future. You know, I think he says it's Western Union, but either way, like that yeah, is still a lot. Yeah, I mean that is to, true. Doc does have on. knowledge of the future, so I think. But just by him, and this again, this is where you have to, which pretty much all time travel movies, you always have to suspend disbelief because I've yet to see one that doesn't have logic gaps in its time travel and him just even going back to 1885 changes the timeline so that letter would go to a very different marty you know like it's sort of like the butterfly effect as soon as you step foot in another past you've automatically changed it no matter what and so their timelines in these movies are a lot more sturdy than i would say would be realistic if time travel were real. But again, none of that bothers me because it's, it's the sort of thing you have to kind of get over to have fun with the film. And it doesn't bother me. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I don't know if you're a, a Rick and Morty guy. I'm not like a hardcore Rick. And I watched Morty the guy. first season. Me too. And, and I enjoyed watched, it, but I, I just never went back. Yeah, me too. 
Um, maybe I watched the second part of the second season too, but I'm not, I'm not a hardcore guy, but I do enjoy the way that that show plays with some of these ideas about, you know, alternate versions of the same person. And, you know, before well, I mean, Rick and Morty are Doc and Marty. They, I mean, it, they are. And yeah. before you get too far into the show, you know that you're dealing with maybe not the originals anymore. You know, <laughs> and it, like you can never really be sure if the versions yeah. you're looking at are, you know, the originals. And uh, I think that that's a, a fun idea, like a very clever but crass show, the way that it plays with some of those concepts. Yeah, I had fun with it. I might watch it again if it's streamed somewhere for free. I think it's on HBO Max. Anyway, it is. Ah, so, so I have some questions. Yes, yes I have some yes. questions. Uh, in the course of Back to the Future Two, we're alter we're altering these timelines, and one of the impacts that is happening is we are killing George McFly and bringing George McFly back to life. Right. Right. Now let's consider for a moment that let's just let's just concede that the Christian idea of death and heaven and hell is real in this universe. Right? Okay. Okay. I already know where this is going. <laughs> what is happening to George in this experience? So let's say George is killed. Right, and we're going to presume that George is a good person. George goes to heaven, right? George's whole mm-hmm. soul is in heaven. And then the timeline shifts. Does George get plucked out of heaven and shoved back down to earth? That would be hilarious, but... <laughs> <laughs> Does heaven follow the same temporal rules there are there multiple heavens that's the question are there multiple heavens when you get to heavens there's all the multiple versions of yourself that doc and marty have just messed up (laughs) like them creating the time machine (laughs) you know and the god's like okay hold on now (laughs) and there's multiple versions of george like okay this is the dead one uh, this is the old man version who was confident and and lived to old age. And this is the old man version who was not confident from the beginning of the first film. So there's three of you, um, you know, like, yeah. Right. If there's only one heaven, <laughs> God has to sort through the He's different like, Georges. Okay. Right. Yeah. Or you have one George soul that's bopping back and forth and having to relive. I imagine this George gets a lot of deja vu because he's having to relive huge portions of his life, you know, and then like going down these alternate paths, dies, goes to heaven, gets pulled back down 30 years in the past again, has to go. So if George does only have one true soul, uh, that soul has seen some action. Yeah, that's that's I didn't think of that. That's pretty funny. Okay, let's think about alternate versions of Biff, right? Gladly. So when Biff is in 1985, at the end of Back to the Future 1 and at the beginning of Back to the Future 2, that Biff seems to have learned some life lessons, right? He's still a little smarmy trying to cheat people out of the second coat of wax, but... For the most part, he seems like a pretty good guy. Like he's excited to run out and show Marty his new matchbooks, right? Like yeah. he's he's not a jerk, he's not mean. You can say that maybe this version of Biff has grown 
and has uh, kind of repented for his bad rapey ways, you know, uh, <laughs> that piece okay. of him might still be inside there somewhere. But for the most part, this is a person who has uh, kind of straightened out their life. Admittedly, he lives a modest life as a car detailer, but uh, is not a criminal, is not in jail. You're gleaning a lot from one scene, but I'm just saying. You don't know what he does. By <laughs> by messing with the timeline, then our let's just okay, let's just assume then that Biff has learned his lesson and is a good person. By messing with the timeline, then under the same Christianity rules, are Marty and Doc dooming Biff to hell by taking away his opportunity to be a good person and forcing him into a timeline where he becomes a bad person. As in the bad 1985 version? Yes. Because they end up fixing it and he goes back to being this squirrely version of Biff. Um, Does he? Does he end up this way at the end of the last movie? I want to say I mean, so. I can't. Okay, don't, don't spoil bit. it. Yeah, okay. Sorry. Little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, Okay. I'm just saying, like, overall, like, Doc and Marnie aren't just playing with these alternate timelines. They're playing with people's mortality. And if the concept of an immortal soul is, in fact, real, they're playing with the fate of people's immortal souls, too, by putting yeah. them in these different sets of circumstances that shape their behaviors and uh, the person they end up being when they die. Yeah. Um, that's more thought than I've put into it. Um, I just... Uh... Uh, sure. That's my, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I get what you're saying, but people make their own choices, right? It's the, the whole, like, how, I watch a lot of documentaries on serial killers and it's like, he grew up in a tough house and his dad was abusive and that might be why he did this, but they always follow up by saying, but there's always a lot of other people who grew up in tough houses and are abused and turn out not to be serial killers. So that's really not an excuse. So I, I personally think that either way it goes. So, okay. All right. So that Biff that you're talking about at the end of one is the same Biff in 2015 and that's the biff that goes back in time that gives the book to young biff that makes him bad biff right but he's taking the opportunity to make himself rich he's not necessarily like understanding the consequences of his action are going to lead to a hellscape Sure. Would you take would you take that opportunity if you were old you and you were like, oh, hey, I can take a quick jaunt in this DeLorean and change my entire life and be like crazy rich. Would you take the opportunity? Probably not. It's just, it's like, just from watching movies, I tend to actually take a lot of life lessons from films. <laughs> like, um, you know, if you grew up in the 90s, you learned that. Uh, family is more important than your job because like every movie was about a dad that worked too hard elf <laughs> elf you know like elf oh my god don't get me started on the life lessons in elf because they are nonsense i love elf jingle all the way i love elf <laughs> but the the moral of that movie is quit your job and hang out with your kid which really 
isn't the best advice for anybody. Like, yes, you can make more time for your kid, but do you have to quit your job? Like, Right. But anyway, but so uh, I think that me, yeah, I just don't see myself doing this too risky, I think, just to mess with time. I agree. That's because I've seen a lot of time travel movies and I'm like, this never works out, you know? I agree that unless you're Bill and Ted. Uh, yeah, I like I, I, I we'll have to watch Bill and Ted. I love that movie. I wouldn't want to uh, kind of jeopardize the happiness that I have had in life because who knows if, like, to me, having more money doesn't e- equate being right. more happy. And I'm also you know? aware, and you've said this too, that the person I was in high school and in my 20s is a different person than I am now. If the person I was in my teens and 20s had unlimited power or unlimited money in this particular case, I don't know that I'd end up, I'd end up being a good person. Okay, you know? on, on that note, then let's talk about what happens to Marty. Because 45-year-old Marty, or however old he is, 48-year-old Marty, is a very different person from 18-year-old Marty. Like, yeah. what could have possibly happened in that guy's life to turn him into this sweaty, squirrely... You find out in three. Okay, because I, I was watching this and I was like, there is no way that this cool, thoughtful, funny kid was going to turn into this creepy, two-tie-wearing, yeah. work-swindling guy. You know? Like, but there's had, a jump in time, so... But there again, it does. There is an event that happens in three that is explained as to why he ends up the way he does. Okay, that's good. I'm I'm glad that yeah. they're going to go back to that because like that was a real bitter pill for me to swallow watching this. It was just one more. Yeah, piece well, of I mean, this in the first movie, sense. he still lacks confidence in a lot of things. Like he's saying the same insecure things that George is saying um, at the beginning of one. You know, I can't yeah. take that kind of rejection, and so. That, I think, is the, if that version of Marty keeps going without any change and he allows his insecurities to take over, that's who he becomes. And then, you know. Yeah, that, that all makes sense. I think sense. that that will, that, I don't know if you'll be happy with how it's explained, um, but it does get explained. Cool. So, I just briefly want to talk about the problematic hoverboard because- What I, problem? <laughs> The hoverboard is a problem. It's perfect. No, the hoverboard is cool. The hoverboard it makes perfect scientific sense. It's I'm not questioning the feasibility of the hoverboard or the mechanics of the hoverboard. Okay. I'm questioning the fact that Doc is totally okay with Marty bringing the hoverboard back to 1955 and then Biff doesn't react at all to the hoverboard as though it's some demon magic because Marty is riding a hoverboard in that tunnel and Biff doesn't even blink at it. He goes up on the wall. He goes up over the car, like on the ceiling to the other side of the car. He's dipping around. He is clearly on a hoverboard, except for the one long shot where you can really like clearly see the wheels of the hoverboard. Uh, Biff doesn't acknowledge it at all. Biff's just yeah, like, Biff, okay. oh, it's a Biff Calvin is driving. <laughs> He's trying to keep track of Marty. He's trying to keep track of Gray Sports Almanac. He doesn't have time. So, like, our brain fills in a lot of information that we don't take in. So, if 
his brain sees a guy on a board flipping and up and his brain is going to put the wheels on that. You think so? It just, it's in his peripheral. He's got other things going on. This Our brain does a l- pink neon hoverboard. Yeah. He's not going to pay any attention to that. If, if he were uh, following that guy in a car and he wasn't panicking, trying to stop this kid from stealing this book while driving down a tunnel. Yeah, maybe. But I don't think I, I could see why he wouldn't notice that he's on a hoverboard. Mm. It doesn't again, that one doesn't bother mm. me that much. That's not a huge gap that we could point at other things being. A well, huge what gap. about Doc just letting the hoverboard come along for the ride? Like the almanac, bad, very bad, could ruin everything. The hoverboard? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> It's fine. Yeah, I think it's fine. because it's you can't get sentiment. rich off that hoverboard. You can't like deconstruct the hoverboard, find out how it works and then sell it at mass market and make a bazillion dollars. Nah, it's cool. Just bring the hoverboard. It's totally okay. Yeah, totally fine. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. That's kind of all I got. My, my, <laughs> Listen, my, the hoverboard has to be in these films. It's the hoverboard. Uh, like if you take nothing else from one or from two the hoverboard is like the thing every kid wanted a hoverboard and they swore i don't know if it was i went, i don't know what grade you were in but i was in middle school or whatever and everybody's like hoverboards are real they're making them mattel is making them they've got them i've seen a video where there's a prototype we were just so over the moon for freaking hoverboards we wanted them so bad. It's because Robert Zemeckis, as on one of the making of features of this, says the hoverboards are real. Mattel just won't release them out of concerns for oh, parental. Like he actually genius. said that it was real. And and then they released like a video of the prototype. So the, the video of the prototypes was real. Like they really oh, made that and released it. It made my childhood. Oh, as a, I guess as a gag, but they did it in a very straight faced sort of way. Uh, which, yeah, like you said, genius, clever Blair, Witch that. Blair, Witch levels of, uh, clever marketing on that one. So, I mean, yeah. I guess, I guess my end feeling after watching this movie is that, Robert Zemeckis set out to make a fun summer movie and he inadvertently made one of the best movies of all time with back to the future. And I feel like if you mistakenly make one of the best movies of all time, maybe not mistakenly, that's a little harsh way to put it. Yeah. But if you, Oops. If, if you make one of the best movies, it's of not all, all time, the years of filmmaking and training and right, right. Yeah. And- not mistakenly, but like, I almost feel like you have an obligation to leave it alone. You know, like there's a reason why they never went back and made Forrest Gump too, you know? And uh, well, like, there's no story left to tell, but I'm sorry. You cut out there. What was that? What I said, said there's no story left to tell. There's a second book. G- there's another book. Ah, well, no one knows that. <laughs> like I get it, but you're starting to also teeter a lot closer to ruining my childhood. No, no, and I'm not. I'm not. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I I hate that line of thinking. I really detest that level of fanboy nonsense. Because no, this movie doesn't ruin the first movie. The first, the first one movie is still there, is and you can damn watch near it. perfect. And I can still watch it and enjoy it and have. For me, it's know. Terminator Two. Like a Terminator One and Two are all the Terminators. 
And no matter how many shitty Terminator movies they make going forward, Terminator 1 and 2 are always the whole story. And the end of Terminator 2 is the end of the story. Skynet is dead and is not coming back. And that, and for me, that's that's it. So make all the Terminators you want. I'm not going to watch them because Terminator 1 and 2 is the story. That's fair. I like Terminator 3, though. I'm one of those people. I'm one of those really? people that is kind of like, yeah, I kind of dig this. I Even like- with the John Connor recast. See, everybody, the people I know, we're going down the side. The people I know like are like, they just like the ending. They just like that Skynet is inevitable. And- uh, I like the ending, and I, I remember thinking, wow, I was brave of them to do this. Um, but I also like the film itself. I like the the female Terminator. I think that it has a lot of like great action beats. I'll watch all the ter- I'm I'm opposite. Like I agree with you that I've, one and two I've is kind of it. Them all, but I'll but I I'll keep watching them. Yeah. You know, like- no. <laughs> I've seen them all. Um, I think uh, the only one that I'm like maybe could be canon is, and it's not because of the quality of the film. Um is the one with Bale because mm. it takes place in this future that sh- this is, in my opinion, the future that would have been had John Connor not stopped it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a rough movie, but and I, that's I agree. fine. I can, I can be okay with that existing in the Canon, but yeah, I like, thought the newest one with Khaleesi was okay. Like it's okay. They're okay, but they'll never recreate that. Fantastic. That was, was that, you know, which one was that? Was that dark fate? I don't know the names of them. The newest one. Like, Schwarzenegger was in... The one with Linda Hamilton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that yeah, one, it's all right. fine. It was all I right. I liked it just because Linda Hamilton was back. That's yeah. the only reason I watched it. Yeah, it was it was okay. All right, we're way off topic here. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I am very much looking forward to uh, seeing Back to the Future 3. I'm enjoying the weird philosophical ideas that these movies are putting into my head. Um, yeah. And, and I think these conversations are worthwhile. Um Again, once again, we don't even <laughs> mention Spielberg on our Spielberg podcast. <laughs> yeah, he did something with these, right? He's the executive producer, yeah. some garbage. Yeah, he's the executive producer. We no. just wanted to watch Back to the Future. Cut us a break. <laughs> we had to watch Always and what was the one before it that we, oh, Empire of the Sun, which is the one I hated more than you did. Yeah, we needed a bit of lightness in our lives. So, okay, I, uh, just to just to line it up, um, we should mention that we've gotten a little out of order on these things. Okay, what had happened was, uh, so Always and Last Crusade come out in the same year, 89. Uh, Always came out after Last Crusade. Last Crusade was a summer blockbuster. Always was like a family Christmas movie. So, my bad. And I'll say that again uh, tomorrow's or next week's episode. My bad. I'm not going to fix it. Deal with it. We're not recording. <laughs> I'm not watching always again. It is what it is. In this timeline, this movie came out first. Yeah. Yeah. Blame Doc and Marty. So, yeah. So, next next week, we'll be back with The uh, Last Crusade. And then the following week after that, then we will have uh, Back to the Future 3. And uh, looking forward to that. And I think Hook is after that, isn't it? I oh. think, and then and then Hook, the, the long-awaited Hook, and then it's just Denouement after that. It's just it's all <laughs> it's all downhill. 
No, there's a, some, there's some great movies after Hook. I mean, listen, I'm not necessarily looking forward to watching Schindler's List again, but it is a very good film. It is a great movie. Yeah, there, we got a lot of really great movies, and then some clunkers along the way too. But yeah, uh, yeah I don't think we're even we're not even halfway one. right. Like there, there's. Uh, I think we are right at halfway. Let me check. Or I, I, you, I think you're right. We're not halfway, but we're getting there. So on the list we have. Of Spielberg's films, 39, including The Fablemans, which we don't know when that's coming out. Right. Uh, and we have reviewed 16. So we're not quite halfway not yet. Not quite halfway, but we're, we're oh. getting there. And oh. we might throw in a bunch more bonus episodes, too, oh, just because they're fun. Hook. they're fun for us. Jurassic Park. Oh, my God. I can't wait to watch Jurassic Park again. How does somebody go from Hook to Jurassic Park? It's just some oh. of these transitions are just, just mind-blowing to me. Just into the, like, oh. <laughs> I can't wait. So many, like I mean, because we got Private Ryan, Minority Report, Minority Catch Report, me if you can War of the God, Worlds. We got some great ones coming up. Yeah. So yeah. so, uh, well, if you want more from Eric, be sure to check out GamingNexus.com. He's on YouTube. Uh, his YouTube channel is in the links in the description. It's Eric Hotter on Twitter. Eric underscore Hotter. Uh, you can follow the podcast that Spielberg Chrono on Twitter. You can follow me at Podcast by Jeff. Also check out the movie Draft House wherever you get your podcasts. And like uh, Eric said, that one I'm much more angry and negative. Good times. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening as usual, and we will see you next week for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Good night. Bye.